Will here with episode 10 of the Customers Who Click podcast. Before I start, I just wanted to say I've been really enjoying creating this podcast and I hope you're enjoying it as well. And if you've got any feedback or any requests for guests, please do let me know. You can email me at will at customerswhoclick.com or just drop me a message on LinkedIn. So today I've got Lauren Mayer from Kickbox to talk about email verification, deliverability and inbox placement. This is super important for any business uh, as, as you should all be building email lists. In the B2B world, it's estimated that about 25% of your list will expire every 12 months. Um, this is mainly because people move jobs, companies are bought, domains change. In the B2C world, it's more like 4%. So, you know, absolutely worth doing as no bounce rate is a healthy bounce rate. Kickbox is one of the leading email verification tools out there. I've personally run millions of emails through them myself. Um, and if you haven't cleaned your list in a while, you'll see huge improvements in performance once you've done it. They're not just about email verification, though, um, but I'll leave that up to Lauren to discuss. Hi, Lauren. How's it going? Uh, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks, Will. Yeah, really happy to be here. So um, do you want to tell us uh, a bit about yourself, your background, and um, I guess why you do what you do? Yeah, cool. Well, I mean, I, I guess I should just start by saying that, you know, I am an email geek through and through, right? Like, I, I love data. I love looking at trend lines of delivery and engagement metrics. And I really just, you know, love helping people understand this matrix-like construct that is email, right? Like I think, you know, over over the last many years, I've heard, you know, email is hard, right? And I enjoy breaking it down for people in a way that helps them focus on what really matters, which is ultimately the subscriber, the subscribers on your list, right? So, you know, sure, the actual goal is, is to drive revenue. I think that's true of most businesses. But so often, I think marketers are so focused on pushing their products and services or learning about new technologies to add into their emails or setting up that automation sequence that they forget that there's an actual human being behind that every single email that they're sending, right? They forget that, you know, the content that they're creating is ultimately going to a person who has feelings and ambitions and a life outside of their inbox, right? Like each day is finite. We only get 24 hours in a day to work, to eat, to sleep, to exercise and do things that we enjoy. And for most people, checking emails is pretty low on the list. You know, at the end of the day, if, if the emails that you're, you're reading don't bring some kind of value to you or they don't spark joy, they're really not going to make the cut in those 24 hours. So, you know, my aim is, is really to inspire marketers to approach deliverability and, and I guess email as a whole from a more personal perspective, right? To create user journeys that they themselves might actually want to sign up for, you know, to follow their data and to use it to find ways to stand out in that ever increasingly crowded inbox, right? Like the key to deliverability much like the key to making money for your business is customer engagement, right? If users love the emails that you're sending, then hitting the inbox should be no problem for you. And then that revenue is just going to follow right along. So, you know, I think this is hyper relevant right now when it seems that, you know, how brands are communicating with their subscribers is coming under more scrutiny than ever, right? In a way, the communication that they send to you is almost as important as the products that they're offering, right? So those who are showing empathy, you know, those are forming a sense of community or, or providing real value to the recipients are being praised in the community. And those who are tone deaf and, and, you know, clearly just not trying to provide value to their subscribers are really starting to become, you know, sacrificial lambs to the slaughter. So my goal is really to help them overcome those challenges and just be better email senders. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's all about uh, building, building a list of people who want to hear from you, whereas the approach seems to be, building a list of people so you can send more products to them. Absolutely, um, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. This kind of topic comes up, has, has probably come up actually in almost every single podcast episode so far, um, how, yeah, marketers just treat people as, as just, uh, you know, numbers, customer numbers to just send emails to and, and sell to. Um, but yeah. Um, so what's, uh, what does a standard day look like for you? Well, you know, I mean, it really varies quite a bit from day to day. You know, Kickbox has traditionally been an email verification provider, but we're going through a huge transition phase as a company right now. We're heading deeper into the deliverability space. Um, you know, so this actually is, is the reason why they hired me a little over about, I guess, about three months ago. Um, you know, I, I've traditionally been on the sender side, right? Working for ESPs for many, many years, consulting customers on how to resolve deliverability issues and then kind of proactively prevent them. And really, you know, sending emails myself as a marketer as well. So, you know, part of my role at Kickbox involves content creation and thought leadership, uh, you know, speaking at conferences and on industry webinars, advocating for best practices and a proactive and, and a data-driven approach to email deliverability. 
right? Um, I've contributed to a, a couple of white papers and webinars that we've done at Kickbox since I've joined, aiming to help educate customers, right? I think, you know, for the most part, um, a lot of these, these ideas that we're giving, you know, much like you said, you know, we, we tend to talk about the same topics a lot, right? So we, we tend to have like an overarching theme of improving deliverability and return on investment from email. Um, you know, that, that can come through engaging in better email address collection and management practices. Um, maybe it's proactively reviewing your data to identify issues and resolve them. Um, and really just, you know, understanding which best practices you really need to apply in the first place, right? Most recently, um, we delved into, into the sign-up process with Kate Barrett from eFocus Marketing. Um, we discussed the need for personalization, segmentation, and a proactive approach to list management with, uh, with Campaign Monitor a couple of weeks ago. And we've actually got one coming up um, that we're partnering with Interval for, um, I think actually going to be released uh, you know, June 10th, um, on how to increase email ROI. So I've been doing, you know, some guest blogging as well, appearing on podcasts like this one, um, contributing to Kickbox's two monthly blogs. So we've got two that are really just focused around having, you know, five to 10 email experts answer one question each month, right? One's called No Bullshit Advice from Email Experts. The other one is Email Deliverability Unfiltered. So check those out if you have a chance. I mean, we've got, you know, top ESPs, um, you know, people from, you know, top agencies and consultancy centers really helping us with that content. So, you know, pretty pr proud of that. Well, I contributed to the, to the last one, I think. Uh, yeah, you did. Yeah, I love what you had to say, actually. It was really great. But yeah, I think that's, you know, the, the idea is, is, you know, on segmentation, on list management, um, what's changing in the industry, whatever we're talking about, the idea is, you know, give, give people actionable advice, right? Something that really helps them be better email senders and take something away quickly, right? And hearing it from people who've been in the industry for many, many years, um, hopefully just hearing that kind of same messaging over and over from all of them really is, is helpful. But, um, you know, I, I'd say, you know, outside of content creation, um, I've also been doing some deliverability consultations with our existing customers. And, you know, the goal here really is just to provide value to our customers during this, this kind of time of need when maybe their email program is a little bit turned upside down. You know, but at the same time, I've actually found that these conversations are so helpful to understanding the misconceptions around deliverability and email verification, right? The problems that most email senders are facing. And ultimately, like our goal at Kickbox is to identify ways that we can help solve those issues, right? So whether it's, it's an education issue, so if, you know, if they just don't know what they should be looking at, or uh, maybe they're just misunderstanding what's driving that issue, right? They're, they're, they're aware of the fact that they've been listed by a blacklist, but they don't know if that actually has any impact on their deliverability, right? So, so kind of helping guide them to water and helping them understand deliverability better is one aspect. Um, we're also helping, you know, try to solve time management issues, right? So just helping them get to the answers quicker so that they can understand how they're doing with email, you know, kind of a thumbs up or thumbs down, and then move on with their day because they're probably doing a lot of other things than, than focusing on deliverability, right? So um, we're actually going through a, a beta phase with a new suite of products right now. They're all geared towards deliverability, right? So um, a great deal of my time has actually also been focused around product development and business development recently. Um, you know, I've been giving demos and collecting feedback from our beta testers, uh, working with marketing to develop our website for, for what this is going to look like, you know, a go-to-market strategy so that we can kind of advertise these new tools. Um, and then, you know, really working directly with our team of developers to further develop the tool, right? We're getting that, that feedback from beta testers, but I've also spent the last 13 years of my career working with these kind of tools, right? So um, we're really just trying to make it as awesome as possible um, and, and, you know, getting feedback from a lot of people. So really, on a, you know, it's been a, a fun couple of months and I think it's going to be a, a very busy couple of months to come as well. Yeah, so um, you, you talked quite a bit about deliverability there and, and email, and big focus on email there, but can you just give us a, a quick kind of intro into Kickbox, what the company does? Sure. Yeah, I guess that would be uh, pretty helpful. So, um, you know, Kickbox has historically been an email verification company, right? We're helping legitimate email senders protect their reputation and increase their open rates by separating, I guess, what we would call the, the low quality email addresses from high value contacts, right? So part of that process involves identifying invalid addresses in real time at the point of capture, right? So you figure most of these invalid addresses are typos, right? Somebody entering their address incorrectly by mistake. I, I don't know about you, Will, but I do this all the time. It's, it's almost crazy how often I typo my, my own email address um, or my own name, right? So it's not just, you know, to miss, mistyping Gmail. It could just be that I, I you know, switched to the letters in my name, right? So it's not Lauren, it's Larna. Um, you know, so normally I'd say that kind of mistake leads to a hard bounce or, you know, potentially you could be hitting a typo spam trap as well. Both of those have a negative impact on deliverability, right? So 
Um, you know, one thing that we talked about with Kate Barrett during our session was the fact that 95% of customers will come to your website or your physical location when we had those only once and never return again, right? So instead of just missing out on those potential new customers who are actually trying to give you their email address and do business with you, our technology allows companies to check if that email address is valid at that point of sign up, right? So if the address is invalid, it prompts their users to try again and, and they simply just cannot hit submit until a valid email address has actually been given, right? So we're not just avoiding hard bounces and, and helping clean a builder email or build a, a cleaner email list, but we're also assuring that you're holding on to all of those potential new leads and you know building a larger email list, potentially leading to more revenue for your company. Yeah, one of the companies I worked at, we, we actually cleaned the list with uh, Kickbox. Oh, great, um, okay. And then, yeah, so we, we were actually looking at the, I think it was called the quarantine list in Adobe, which is basically your, your bounces, mm-hmm. um, hard bounces and everything. And yeah, right. it was, you know, you, you just kind of glance through, through the list and you're just seeing, yeah, misspellings and, and typos of normally of the domain names. So it's normally yeah. Gmail, Outlook, Yahoo, uh, Hotmail, those sort of things, which someone's hitting the K instead of the L or, you know, something like that. And obviously that, that, that is in a hard bounce, which has a negative impact. Um, when we implemented inline verification on the actual sign-up form, um, initially, and I, I've since left that company, so I, I don't know where they've gone with it now, but yeah. initially we made the decision to actually not reject um, invalid emails on sign-up. So someone could still enter that email address and register with it, but we mm-hmm. quarantined it in the, in the back end. So we wouldn't send it emails right. and we okay. were just, and part of that was just, um, it was based off a hunch that we were getting lots of uh, incorrect emails from people who weren't quite genuine customers. Right. For sure. Um, so we weren't actually too fussed about verifying them. Um, and we didn't want to risk uh, a drop in conversion rate on sign up form. So we were right. kind of happy to say, yeah, go with whatever you do. And then we kind of talked about, you know, right if these are genuine customers, um, you know, if we see that they're actually playing games and things, let's find a way of confirming their email address at a later time. You know, oh, totally. Yeah. And, you know, I think this, this kind of um, calls out the, you know, sort of the other part of our service, which is not the real time on the front end when at the point of sign up, but, you know, we also have a tool that allows you to kind of like batch, um, you know, upload a, a list of, of, you know, an existing list that you have, right? So this could be helpful in scenarios such as like a re-engagement campaign where you're reaching out to people that you haven't contacted in a while, or I don't know, let's say maybe if your company has gone through a merger or an acquisition and you just have no idea how their email list was built or, or managed over the years, like figure with that data and the way that you guys were using it, you have a lot of information, right? Like you know, the benefit here is, is, you know, you can remove those, those invalid addresses, but you can ha- also have a sense of how your, your list looks, right? Do you have a high presence of role addresses or disposable addresses that you just don't want to be sending to, um, you know, if, if the list is coming back with a whole bunch of undeliverables, even though you were told that all those recipients have been mailed to recently, maybe that's going to uncover, you know, an issue with, with the management of your list, right? You're just, you're, you've got a whole bunch of people that have just never been contacted in two years or something, right? Um, or, you know, let's say if you have multiple data sources, you know, our analysis can help you identify if one of those is causing problems. So it's, it's not just about um, that, that process of, of, you know, confirming if that address is, is valid or invalid, but really using that information to trace your issues back to the point of where the issue starts and then fixing that problem. Yeah, because you, yeah, you also get the case that, um, kind of like I was hinting at earlier, you know, a lot of the incorrect or invalid addresses were actually bad customers, basically. And right. that's what other companies might find. You might just be an e-commerce site, but you might find that um, loads of people fill out your little newsletter pop-up with a 10% discount, which when they fill in the email address, it gives them the discount code. Right. So they don't need an email address. Um, and then you might find that actually these people are buying one particular product um, and you know just kind of getting around the system. And there's always things, you know, there's um, there's forums out there which are are purely based on exploiting little weaknesses like this in businesses um, and, and kind of loopholes in promotions and things. So, yeah. you know, you know, someone will uh, come to a website, you know, fill in their email address to get that 10% discount. They'll cancel their subscription with your service and then you offer them a 50% discount, but that happens to be a way of adding the promo code. It's that sort of thing where, 
you know, by actually checking on these invalid emails, you can kind of find some bad behavior in your customers that you might need to fix elsewhere. Yeah, for sure. And I, I really think that that's, that's such a, a valid point because it's not, you know, that even in that case, you know, if you have data in that example to trace back, okay, well, this is how many invalid addresses we're having. This is how many people are signing up and then canceling as immediately after they get the discount code or whatever. You know, ultimately, if that's driving purchases still, right, if, you're, if your ultimate goal is, is to drive a purchase and that's happening, then great. Maybe your, your current setup isn't so bad. You just need to find ways to limit the damages, you know, the, the impacts on deliverability. But also, you know, consider, right, like if, if all of that activity and all that noise is building up to not a lot of benefit and not a lot of purchases on your website, is it worth it, right? It's, it's a great time to kind of look at your, your customer experience and determine if you can change it and, and optimize it in ways. Yeah, exactly. Um, so do you want to dive a bit more into kind of email verification itself and how it affects deliverability and inbox placement and, and kind of the differences between those as well? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, in a way, let's um, maybe let's start with 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 deliverability and inbox placement and kind of work our way into how email verification fits into that. Because I think, you know, there is the, this idea that that, you know, if you verify your list that all of a sudden it's magically cleaner and you have no hard bounces and everything's going to be awesome. Um, but really there's a lot more that goes into to deliverability and, and hitting the inbox. Um, so I guess, you know, we can start by just, you know, like what is deliverability, right? So um, essentially that is the ability for an email to make it to the inbox of a recipient. You know, there's a lot of, of, of kind of like confusion over a delivery rate versus a deliverability rate. So the difference is, you know, the delivery, or I guess some people call it the acceptance rate, um, really just measures the amount of mail that was accepted by the recipient's mail server, right? So it didn't make it to Gmail, Hotmail, or any other ISP, right? So this is just the percentage of mail that didn't bounce back or, or get rejected by that network. Um, deliverability is, is what happens after that message has been marked as delivered or rejected, right? So did it go to the inbox or the spam folder? Um, you know, every ISP has a different policy in place when it comes to anti-spam filtering, right? Like some ISPs are, are maybe looking at just a few key signals, while others like Gmail are looking at hundreds of signals when determining if a message should go to, you know, I mean, if it should even be accepted into their system. And then after that point, um, if it should be delivered to the inbox or the spam folder, right? So, but at the end of the day, if you think about the fact that the main goal of all of the ISPs out there, whichever one you're sending to, is really just to deliver a great email experience for their user, right? To only deliver mail to the inbox when they believe that the user is going to actually find value in, in the content that they're receiving, right? So even if a user signed up for the sender's mail at some point, if they're not engaging in ways that the ISPs can see, then the mail really, you know, should not continue to show up in the inbox. You know, this kind of actually, um, this reminds me of an idea that, that a teacher once shared with, I think, I think maybe like my fifth grade class, which was like, you know, if a tree falls in a forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? Well, I would say as far as the ISP is concerned, it doesn't make a sound, right? They cannot see things that happen outside of their purview. So, you know, if, if you're looking for consistent inbox placement, it's really found through building a high quality list of active and continually engaged subscribers, right? The best way to do this is send emails only to people who've actually given you their email address willingly, right? So don't send to people that you kind of, you know, scrape from the internet or purchase a list somewhere. But after that initial sign up point, marketers really need to shift their focus, right? Stop looking at that collection source. Now focus on the engagement metrics and your target KPIs to understand if those recipients are actually continuing to show interest in the content that they're receiving, right? So you know, if they're not engaging with your emails, they're hurting your deliverability. So that's, that's a huge problem and something people need to focus on. But I would say, you know, email verification services like Kickbox fit into that deliverability playbook or, or tech stack by helping legitimate email senders like start with, with a cleaner list, right? To remove those invalid addresses and those typo spam traps. So it's, it's helping build that really important foundation of quality data on the inside, but you have to continue to watch your subscribers, really focus on their activity, focus on what they like, um, kill content or, or mail streams that they're complaining about a lot. You know, if you don't need them, if you, if you can cut them off, that's great. Um, but really, you know, it, it, it's so important just to focus on engagement in whatever way you can. Is your deliverability or inbox placement affected by whether you use your own IPs or um, if you use, you know, just kind of sign up for an email sending tool like MailChimp? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, there's, there is a, a, a difference between like a, a shared IP and a dedicated IP, right? So a lot of um, those kind of like freemium models similar to a MailChimp have a lot of shared IP 
um, setups, right? So figure these are great for people that send very small volumes of emails or, or kind of send very infrequently. Um, but a shared IP setup also means you're sharing reputation. So in that case, it doesn't matter how good or bad um, your practices are. I mean, you know, obviously having having good practices is important. Targeting the right recipients within your own audience is super important. But if you're sharing a space, um, you, you know, there is a, a bit of shared reputation. So it's possible that somebody within that that shared IP that you're using if, if they send some spam, that that will impact you negatively, right? So um, for other people, there are dedicated IPs. Um, you know, if you have, you know, let's say um, enough volume, let's say at least a couple thousand in your list and you're sending at least maybe two to three times a week, you can maintain that that dedicated IP reputation. So I think that's great, uh, but figure it really just depends on, on who's around you, right? Like if you're on a bus, all it takes is one smelly guy on the bus and the whole bus is pretty smelly, right? So um, I, I think that's, you know, it's important for, for you to kind of just look at look at the people around you, right? So make sure that whatever ESP you're using, whether it's MailChimp or anyone else, um, you know, make sure that they're enforcing the rules, right? If there are people that are spamming and that are causing really high complaint rates or things like that or blacklistings, um, that ESP should be handling those people. They should be turning them into better senders through education and remediary, you know, effects, or they should be kicking them off the platform. So um, you really need to kind of look out and, and say, okay, well, am I on a shared IP? Does that impact me? Are there other people impacting me? Um, or, or really, is it just you know my own activities on that dedicated IP that are a problem? Yeah, so at, at smaller scales, you're kind of all right. But once you're uh, once you're in serious business with, with your email lists, you, you probably want to consider uh, dedicated IP. I would say so for sure. Yep. Cool. Okay. Um, so what's uh, what would be the first things you'd look at with a with a new client who comes to you with with problems around deliverability? Oh, wow. Okay. So, um, you know, honestly, Will, there are so many directions a deliverability investigation can go, right? Um, I, I think you really, you need to start by following the signals that you have at hand, right? So if you have any bounce messages you can refer to, or if you know when the issue started or how widespread it is, use those facts to gain a little bit of context about the urgency and the scope of the issue that you're driving, right? So, um, I typically start by asking questions such as, you know, what specific issues are you seeing and where are you seeing them, right? Did you notice a drop at one particular destination such as Gmail or is the issue across the board, right? All of your destinations are showing a drop in open rate or a, or a spike in some metric, right? Um, you know, the path to investigating and resolving an ISP block is going to look very different than if we're dealing with a spam folder issue and trying to trace that down, you know, and the strategy might also change if we're facing an issue at Gmail versus Hotmail versus a regional destination in France or Germany or the UK or something, right? So um, do keep in mind that you know, all of these ISPs do have that similar goal in mind of um, which, you know, they, they just want to deliver wanted mail to their users and they want to block the rest of the stuff that they think their, their users do not like. So um, the way that they define wanted mail is probably going to be different, but, you know, and so are the, the, the filters, right? So they're all filtering for for spam and for phish and all these other things, um, the patterns and the metrics that they're looking at, the things that they care about the most, right? Some ISPs very much care about user complaints and that's all that they care about. Other ones are looking for metrics such as, you know, like, are your open rates low and, and other things that are a little bit kind of harder to, to catch. Um, all of that tells us about what's driving your issue, right? So getting the details of kind of where are you seeing that issue is super important. Um, I, I'd also try to ask about, you know, how do you discover your issue? So are you actually seeing a bounce message? And if so, what does that message say? We can diagnose that. Um, are you hearing about it from customers who are complaining that their emails are missing or they're ending up in the spam folder? Um, did you did you run a seed test and the results suggest that you've got mail that's missing or going to the spam folder? Um, you know, these questions can help you understand how widespread that issue might be, right? If it's my list is really, really struggling. We noticed there's a huge block and it's affecting, you know, 65% of our list is very different than I heard from Joe at gmail.com and he says the mail is going to spam, right? So we want to kind of just gauge that that urgency in that sense. Um, I would also ask some questions about, you know, did you change anything recently, right? Did you change your authentication or your lead sources? Um, and then there's a whole other section that I would ask about, you know, segmentation and list collection, right? So um, I, I find that really most deliverability issues are driven by problems with targeting people that you shouldn't be, right? Either because they didn't sign up for your list at all, or because they just didn't like what you were sending to them after you did sign up, right? Or maybe they did sign up, but they don't remember doing so. So asking things like, you know, how are those addresses ending up on your list? What are the collection sources? Uh, what was the lead magnet that brought them there? Back to your point, you know, was it a really big discount where they weren't even really required to give a valid email address? Or was it something much more 
um, you know, finite that, that really showed that, oh, wow, we, we basically didn't give you any incentive and you signed up because you really liked our blog posts, right? So that, that's a very different kind of, you know, lead magnet that's driving you there. Um, you know, what are the expectations you're setting? And, and honestly, I'll often, you know, go and sign up for that program myself, right? So if, if it's just a sign-up form on a website, I want to test out that experience. I want to look for potential issues with their data collection. You know, do they have a CAPTCHA or not? Um, what happens after I hit submit, right? Do, you know, do they send me a welcome email and how quickly and what does that look like and, and what does it tell me? Um, you know, do they send me the content that they promised they would or are they sending me other stuff that I wasn't expecting? Um, how often do they contact me, right? Does it fall in line with my expectations on the front end? And, you know, does their unsubscribe link work? Like it's, it's actually amazing how often you'll, you'll dig into an issue and really you're like, everything's great. I don't understand it. And then you test that link and you're like, oh, it's broken. Everyone's marking spam because they can't unsubscribe, right? So all of that information kind of comes together to help us understand, you know, what might be driving the issue with, I don't know, elevated complaints or bounces or a blacklisting that comes out of nowhere. Um, but really it's kind of about, you know, I sort of see it as um, that old game doom where it's like you kind of, you go down a path and, and then you're like, oh, I hit a wall. Okay, cool. Turn around, come back around, do this. Um, you know, investigations can just lead pretty much anywhere and everywhere. Yeah, I'm just on two of those things. I think, I think two of the things that annoy me the most uh, when I get emails are um, I'll suddenly start getting emails from a brand that I can't really remember. Yeah. Or I might be like, oh, that kind of sounds familiar, but I really don't know who you are. But I've gone from nothing to probably like two emails a week. Yeah. Um, and what I'm guessing has probably happened there is um, maybe a new employee's come in, like a new CRM person has come in and said, uh, you know, we've, we've got this segment of, of people, why don't we email them as well? Or, you know, it's, it's obviously not trying to welcome them back because the emails don't mention that. But, um, right. yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. probably someone going, right, I want to make an impact. What if I just increase the number of emails I send? So send to the older segments. That, that oh, must yeah. generate more revenue, surely. Um, yeah, it, you know what? Maybe it does. But, but you know, I think that you had a really good point about, like, you, you just, you need to follow that data. Like, you know, if you are, if you are sending somebody out of the blue and you're, you know, like, it's, yeah, hey, I haven't heard from you in a while, or, hey, we're about to start sending you more email. Find, like, a creative or playful way um, that resonates with that audience to say, like, this is why you're seeing a change or, I don't blame it on some new product or blame it on the new person that you hired and say, we've got a whole new thing going now. Check it out. Let us know if you like it. Right. Like the idea is don't just change those patterns without your subscribers kind of being aware of what's going on because they're going to get confused or they're going to forget what happened and, and they're going to, they're going to be a little angry about it. And they're going to yeah, exactly. And, uh, but the other thing is, um, like you said about unsubscribes, if you make it too difficult and the thing I hate the most is, um, you know, sometimes you get a broken link fine i can kind of forgive that something's something's just gone wrong the thing that annoys me most is especially when combined with a company i've not heard from for a while having to log in to unsubscribe oh yes that is is, that's spam that's you know junk mailbox um hit hit the complaint button straight away I, i you know i can't be bothered with that um, yeah, yeah. And you know what, um, along those lines, another interesting one that I've, I've seen is, you know, there's those certain, um, you know, when you hit that unsubscribe link, it takes you to a page and it says, please enter the email address that you'd like to unsubscribe. So you have to actually type it in again yourself. Um, and it's amazing how often you'll that finger that address. Um, and so here I am thinking that I, you know, I, I unsubscribed Lauren at kickbox.com. And I, I didn't, right? So now I'm really angry because I'm like, I unsubscribed and you're still sending me emails, but I didn't. I unsubscribed an address that wasn't even on their list, right? So it really is important yeah. to make that that unsubscribe process. Like if they went off the, you know, off the list, let them off because it's going to lead to a, a complaint, which is so much worse than an unsubscribe. Well, well I, think I, I think I had that problem recently, actually, but I don't think I typoed. I think uh, I was asked to fill in my email address and something's wrong with their system. It didn't unsubscribe me. Um, oh, wow. And I, yeah ended up I actually ended up just replying to the email and saying you know come on I've tried to unsubscribe you need to stop (laughs) yeah which is just a quick reminder that nobody should be using no reply email addresses right even if you're not um, really paying attention to that feedback at least accept it give people who are angry a chance to to yell into the void and at least get it off their chest because if not they'll they'll take it to social media or again they they will just mark that that spam button as quickly as possible Um, I mean I, I can maybe understand it for transactional emails where there shouldn't be a reason for someone to respond. But even then, if it's an order confirmation and someone wants to respond and go, hang on a minute, this looks wrong, just let them. Um, yeah. 
Sure. Yeah, and, and really quickly. And then you've got all the context out. there for, for customer support. You know, you can see the email they're complaining about. Um, and definitely marketing emails um, or just any emails, really. There's no reason why it can't just go to support. Um, even if it goes into its own little inbox in your support system um, just for, you know, marketing email responses and someone just has a scan through them every now and again. But um, no, no email, no reply uh, should not be a thing. Oh yeah, and you know, honestly, I mean, one of the the best signals for kind of helping and you know tell ISPs that that users do like your content is engagement, right? So, um, opening, clicking, doing things like that are, are the obvious ones, but replies are a huge one as well. So, if you have a no reply email address, you're actually missing out on one of the kind of if there is a, a thing of like a silver bullet to deliverability. That's a great way to to boost your engagement is is, is accepting those replies. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what are some key things a business should consider just with their email list, I guess, uh, whether they've got a large email list or, or just getting started? You've got two or three suggestions? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, the most important advice that I can give, you know, for all businesses, whether you're large, small, just getting started or, or very well established is to take care of your email address, your email list, right? Like those email addresses on your list are marketing gold, right? Like, you know, it's commonly mentioned that email has an ROI of 42 to one, right? So that's a return of $42 for every dollar that you spend on email marketing. That is four times higher than any other digital marketing channel. And research shows that it's, you know, it's, it's actually about five times less expensive to retain a customer than it is to acquire a new one. So be sure that you're regularly maintaining your list to remove hard bounces, unsubscribes and complaints, you know, and, and send to your email list on a regular basis, right? With as much consistency as possible. Sending frequency is, is obviously gonna be, you know, vary depending on the business that you're working in and the industry that you're in. But at the very, very least, send to each recipient on your list at least once every six months to just ensure that, that those addresses do not turn into a spam trap, right? Ideally, you're sending much more frequently than every six months. But for the sake of data quality of your list, I would say this is the bare minimum, right? Um, you know, a solid email program that is optimizing segmentation and personalization can lead to customer loyalty. And it's, you know, it's so much free marketing through word of mouth in addition to those direct sales that you're driving from your email. So I think that's that's the first and foremost one. Um, you know, secondly, I'd say, you know, make sure that you're focusing on the right kinds of KPIs for your business with email. Um, you know, it's great to have a very high open rate, but, you know, if, if recipients who are opening your mail are never converting to your real goal, which maybe, for example, is, you know, making a purchase on your website, it's probably time to reconsider how you can attract the right kind of people to sign up for your marketing email list, right? The ones that are driving the conversions that you're looking for. So again, if that's a purchase, if that's signing up for some sort of user account and, and being like, you know, a monthly recurring revenue for them, uh, whatever that is, really focus on those KPIs. Let the KPIs drive the email strategy that you're trying to put in place. Yeah, and I think it's, it's really crucial, like you said, the right KPIs are used. Um, yeah, like you said, like too many people use KPIs like open rates, click-through rates, or, you know, followers on Instagram, likes on Instagram posts, and really those mean nothing. Like obviously, right. you want to have a good open rate, you want to have a good click-through rate, but if those people aren't actually converting, it's meaningless. You know, even for something like, you know, subscription services like Netflix, you know, obviously when they send out their, you know, what's new on Netflix this week, um, there's no purchase, but what they're hoping for are people to go in and uh, either start watching those programs or add them to a wish list. Oh, absolutely. Watch list. Yeah, for sure. um, yeah. You know, there needs to be like a, what is contributing to revenue KPI um, for, for everything that a company does really. Yeah, definitely. You know, and then I think, you know, once, once you've identified those KPIs and you know what your targets are, then focus on your stats that kind of back up and, and help you prove that you're you're reaching those KPIs and, and doing well, right? So, um, you know, I think most people are trained to be on the lookout for the positive engagement signals like opens and clicks, as well as the main negative engagement signals, such as, you know, recipients marking emails as spam or unsubscribing, um, you know, which is great because, you know, spam reports are very heavily weighted across all of the ISPs, right? They are such a clear indication directly from the recipient that the email is not wanted for whatever reason, um, you know, but unsubscribes are also a sign that recipients are looking to get off of that ride. So, you know, for a marketer, these metrics should serve as an indication that everything is either going really well and you're on track um, or that there's a problem with either your list collection, your targeting or the content that you're actually sending. So you need to just follow those signals and trace them back to the source of the issue and then optimize, right? Because there's so many, often people are like, well, I'm not getting conversions. 
and they're focusing on improving their content, but the problem is actually that they're not getting enough opens or they're not getting inbox placement, right? So it's like, go back to the start and then figure out how to pile on and just have amazing content that gets them clicking more than ever. Yeah, definitely. So probably one of the more fun questions, I'm hoping. Um, common myths and misconceptions. Ooh, yeah, um, okay. Yep. Yeah, let's, like let's talk about that a bit. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I think I've, I've probably got two for you. I think one, um, this one really, really hurts me every time I see it because you know there still are um, you know, top ESPs, respectable ESPs and, and experts um, who are kind of talking about this and I don't understand why, but this, this one is the idea that spammy words in a subject line will drive your emails to the spam folder on their own, right? So you see these posts talking about words like free or, you know, dollar, dollar, dollar signs and percentages off and other things that, that kind of tend to be spammy or, you know, let's say words like Viagra or something like that, right? Um, you know, there are still some basic keyword filters that are in place on the ISP side, for sure, yes. Um, but we're past those days where a spammy word in the subject line alone would trigger a spam placement result, right? It's much more likely that your mail ended up in the spam folder because of your sender reputation, right? If you mention something is free in your subject line, and it, and it really is, then you should be all good. Your, your users should be loving that, right? But if you say something is free and then it turns out that it's only free with a purchase or um, you know, it's something else that your readers may feel is misleading, that's going to result in a negative reaction from your users. So again, to those KPIs, sure, your open rate is gonna look fantastic, but if your complaint rate is double what it usually is, um, that's gonna be a problem for your future deliverability, right? So um, you know, typically, you know, people that are marketing you know, yeah, like you're just, you, you got to really focus and not just on the words, but the, the reaction that they elicit from your users, right? If they're loving it, cool. You can use literally any word that you want, but if they're not liking it because you've set them up for false expectations, that's where you're going to turn into a problem, right? So well, I think it, that's, that's the main one. It comes back to quality, doesn't it? Like everything, sure. everything comes back to quality. If, if you provide a quality experience to your customers, you'll, you'll make sales basically. For sure. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. So yeah, like you said, if people are opening your emails, clicking through, um, or replying or whatever, um, you, you should be fine, kind of no matter what you do with your with your subject lines. Um, but yeah, if you get a hundred percent open rate, um, which would be incredible, um, <laughs> but you get a massive amount of unsubscribes or, or spam, spam complaints, then yeah, obviously, um, that's not going to go well. And I imagine that does happen a lot with subject lines that sound spammy because people uh, the more genuine marketers don't use them because they're afraid that they are uh you know punished by by the isps for sure yeah yeah and so they are punished yeah yes those words are absolutely abused by spammers but spammers also have a bad reputation right and that's isps are getting sophisticated enough to say i get it you're using free but but you also have all of these other you know, like I said with gmail they've got hundreds of signals so if free is just one signal out of 100 or 200 is that really going to push your mail to the spam folder on its own? Absolutely not. Yeah. So, um, cool. And then I, I do also have a, a misconception for you based around um, list verification, since, since that's what Kickbox is, is doing. Um, so yeah, so I think this one really is, is about the fact that email verification services cannot remove spam traps from your list, right? Um, you know, I want to call out that the Kickbox does not actually give out any spam trap information about the list that we verify. Um, some of our competitors do, so, so be on the lookout for, for those competitors. Um, you know, our, our team specifically has been building email technology for more than a decade, um, from anti-spam to email encryption, right? We pride ourselves on being a white hat service that, that's really only helping legitimate emails who are building their list through permission, right? So we do not, we actually turn away business from, from people that are building their list through purchases and page scraping and anything that doesn't have a pure opt-in of some sort, right? So um, our, our stance on spam traps is essentially that, you know, there's, there's absolutely no way um, that, that we can know every single tram, spam trap that's out there, right? The whole point of a spam trap is that it's kept secret. ISPs and anti-spam agencies do not disclose those to people, right? Have I stumbled upon spam traps in the past? Sure, absolutely. Most people in the, in the, in the industry have. But you know, telling customers that you can definitively remove every single spam trap from their list, including ones from ISPs and very credible sources like Spam House, you know, it's, it's simply not possible. And I would say it's actually you know, borderline dishonest, right? You're misleading them to believe that they now have this clean list that's free from spam traps, when in reality, you've, you've simply just removed their view of the problem and probably yours as well, right? So, you know, I've, I've worked with customers in the past who were listed by Spam House, right? And it's affecting 65% of, of their list, right? A lot of the mail is getting blocked. So that's a huge 
problem for their revenue, right? So, um, you know, they, some of these companies have used some of those top validation providers similar to, to the ones that, that I compete with at Kickbox, you know, to try and clean up that spam problem. And, and, and you know, really focusing on the traps, not even the hard bounces. But you know, after spending thousands of dollars for not much more than just pretty much like a false sense of security, um, they were relisted by Spam House immediately after sending again, right? It's, you know, it's, it's possible that maybe that verification provider um, was able to help them remove even thousands of traps. Who knows? Um, you know, but clearly it didn't remove all of their traps and it definitely didn't include the ones that mattered the most, which were the Spam House traps, right? So it's really, it's best to focus on solving that type of issue with list collection, targeting, or your list management head on instead of trying to spend a whole bunch of money to basically just put a Band-Aid on a bullet wound, right? Like, you know, if an email verification, verification service is sharing spam trap data with you, I would really, really strongly recommend people to suppress that urge to, you know, just delete those spam traps from their list and, and just move on with business as usual, right? Instead, take advantage of the data that they give you, right? Trace those spam trap addresses back to the point of collection or the aspect of your list management that's lacking within your company, and then fix that issue. Fix the reason that the spam traps exist within your database in the first place. You know, this is going to ensure that, that you're avoiding hitting spam traps in the future and that you never have to go through that process of kind of cleaning up your list again because you're just, you're maintaining your list over time so much more well. Can you just, um, can you just explain spam traps a little bit more? So, you know, if, if you were a genuine, genuine business, genuinely trying to build your email list and stuff, sure. how yeah. can they get onto your list? And uh, yeah, and what, what can you do about it? Yeah, for sure. That, that is a great question. So, um, you know, I, I'd say, you know, there's a couple of different types of traps. So I think, you know, recycled traps are one. Well, let's, let's start with the easiest one. So typo traps, right? So imagine this is the one where it's, you know, lauren at gmail.com, but I, I spelled Gmail wrong. Um, you know, instead of that coming back as a hard bounce and saying that address doesn't exist, you know, that gmail.com doesn't exist. Um, it's possible that somebody bought that domain and has kind of turned that domain into, into a trap. And so the idea of that trap is to say, we think that your list collection practices need a little bit of an improvement, right? You're, you're accepting addresses that aren't actually domains that exist and then you're sending to them, right? So um, that's one type of trap. Um, there's recycled traps, which are ones where maybe, you know, that at some point that email address was owned by a legitimate valid person. Um, they actually did sign up for your list, but then at some point, let's say that AOL user decides to move on to a Yahoo address or a Gmail address, right? So they've abandoned the AOL address. That's the one that you have for the opt-in. You're still sending to it. Um, re, you know, with recycled traps, the, the key is that um, you will, like if you send to those addresses, you will receive a hard bounce response for at least a year, if not a couple of years for a very long time, right? So anytime you target that, they'll say, nope, that, does, that address doesn't exist, remove it from your list, right? So really with, with recycled traps, they're trying to catch people that are engaging in really bad management practices. So it's the idea of, you know, like you had, you know, you had Lauren sign up for your list, um, you didn't mail to her for at least 12 months, if not 24 months, you, and, and then all of a sudden, magically, now you're trying to, to mail to her again, right? So we're, they're kind of trying to call out that and say, okay, well, that's, that's an address that isn't owned by Lauren. You missed that, that hard bounce window, and now it's just a trap that, that points to bad management practices. Um, and then I think that the most damaging type um, is a pristine trap. It's oftentimes called a honeypot. Um, and these ones really are addresses that are created specifically for the sole use of being a spam trap, right? So it's an address that has never, ever been kind of um, used to sign up for marketing mails. It's never been used to do anything. It essentially is created and then sort of planted on the internet somewhere, um, either visible for, for like the intern to go and scrape a bunch of pages and grab that, or it's kind of implanted like um, where a human person wouldn't be able to see it. And it's really looking to catch bots that are scraping websites and, and looking for stuff to add to like purchase lists and other things like that. Right. So in these cases, um, you know, they're really looking to say you are building a list without permission from, from the recipients. Um, you know, so typically it, with these kind of lists, you'll see a lot of other issues. Like you might see that your complaint rates are through the roof or that your engagement is super, super low. Um, but the pristine ones really like, you know, there's people that, that are hitting a ton of pristine traps and they're saying, well, yeah, but I think it's just because we, yeah, we haven't really managed our list very well. And it's like, no, no, no. If you have pristine traps on them, sure, maybe one or two could have been a, you know, a typo address or something. But if you've got a lot of those, it really speaks to very poor collection practices on your part. You're collecting those addresses in a way that is not at all just somebody going to your website. So I think you know, there's different types of traps. They tell you different things, but essentially all of them point to an issue with you just kind of not doing right by email and not just kind of you know, not managing your data very well. Yeah, that's really interesting. So they're kind of, um, well, especially the, the pristine traps, I guess, are placed by, by ISPs. 
yeah, by I, agencies I, to yeah, to yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm sure Spam House has got a lot of of pristine traps. Most most of you know those kind of anti spam providers um, are are kind of you know throwing those out. And honestly, some of those addresses, you know, if you talk to the people that have been in the industry for you know 20, 30 years, they've had those addresses, and they're like, it's funny, you'll see these patterns where you know it goes dark, and I don't really get much email at that address, and then all of a sudden, ten years later. Um, it resurfaces and it starts getting more mail again. So, you know, some of these people have been tracking this stuff for years. So if you're getting a trap like that and these people come and report something to you, you know, we can have trust in them to say, you know, I heard about that from this spam trap provider and, and that guy I know runs his business very well. This is absolutely a trap that is very old, very established and absolutely never signed up for something. So it really does speak to the, the quality of the practices. Yeah. Okay. So, well, I guess this uh, kind of, uh, leads to the next question quite well. But what are the what are the biggest or most common mistakes you see people making with their lists? Um, yeah, well, I, you know, I think um, <clears throat> when it comes to how they've collected their list, using a purchase or a scrape list is is the obvious one, right? Like these lists are often built using bots and, and other forms of technology. So even if the email you send to these lists doesn't elicit a really high complaint rate because those people didn't opt in um, and have likely never heard of your business, it's still you know, becoming incredibly easy to tell the difference between a list that's been built through permission versus one that's been scraped from a website, right? So, um, you know, it, it, there's really, there's there's just so many small signals that, that ISPs are now able to pick up of, you know, I, I think, especially like a Gmail who's very sophisticated, but all of them are kind of trying to start to see the difference between those addresses. So, you know, it, I, I'd say outside of those purchase addresses, if we're talking about lists that have actually been built through some sort of form of opt-in, which is what I prefer and recommend to everybody, um, you know, the issue I, I really see here is, is over-targeting of inactives, right? Long gone are those days when you can just continue to send email to people that haven't opened or clicked um, in months or, or even years. Like you can't just claim that they're still interested because they haven't taken the time to opt out, right? Um, you know, it, it's really important that you kind of focus on not being a lazy marketer and, and instead really, you know, you know, Understanding that that deliverability really matters. Engagement is the biggest the biggest you know weapon in your tool belt. Yeah, just on that, I, I know there's some GDPR stuff about that. I can't remember if it's um, if you haven't contacted someone for six months, or if you haven't, or if they haven't opened an email for six months or something, um, then you're kind of supposed to get them to opt in again. Yeah, there. Yeah, there. There are timelines with GDPR. Um, I think there, there's, you know, there's there's similar legislation like Castle in in Canada and the, and the recent one that's come out in California. But um, yeah, essentially, they're, they're trying to say, look, like the opt-in that you get doesn't last forever. There has to be some kind of business um, that you're doing with this person. There has to be some kind of value that they're giving to them. You shouldn't just hold on to their data forever. So you know, there's, you know, GDPR specifically is giving, you know, I guess giving giving individuals their their privacy back, control of their data. So they can say, hey, you can you can have my data for this purpose, but it should be for a very specific purpose, right? Gone are those days where you can kind of just um, collect an email address and then just apply it to 15 different purposes. You need to say, this is going to be used for, um, you know, completing your purchase or for adding you to our email newsletter. So it really is about just being very explicit um, with with what you're planning to do with that data and then giving people that option to to remove, you know, to, to have you delete all of the data about them as well. Yeah. Um, I was actually speaking to someone the other day. I know it's it's kind of a little different, but um, their email validation um, basically blocked kind of consumer domains, so like Hotmail, Hotmail, Gmail, that look stuff, sure, um, yeah. and forced me to sign up with my business address. And I, the reason I didn't want to do that was because I wanted the rebook. But I didn't want to receive marketing or, or sales or anything from them. I just sure. wanted to get this email. Uh, get this ebook and and that's it. Um, and actually, sorry, no. I, sometimes I do sign up to marketing the newsletters, but I want that newsletter to go to my Hotmail account because that's where I put all the newsletters, and I've just got a folder that I can look through. If they go into oh, yeah. my my Monkey Blocks email, um, they're just they're just clustering up my my inbox, um, and they don't get read there. So I wanted to use my Hotmail, but it, but it just meant that. And I've come across it a few times, but it basically means either I don't opt into their newsletter or I have opted in and I'll subscribe very, very quickly. Yeah, for um, sure. It's a, I know it's a difficult one because you want to kind of verify people a bit better, but there's there's so much better ways of doing it. I agree. Um, yeah. And I think that's, you know, it goes back to like the, the, the purpose of why people are trying to, to, you know, get you to sign up, right? Like if it's a white paper, typically white papers are, are you know, hey, download here and then we add you to our sales funnel. So it's kind of like, you know, it's pretty obvious 
when they, you know, are not allowing you to use free mail addresses that they're looking to get your business address and then they want to start targeting you to, to, to get you to, you know, use their product or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, that's great. But, but it's kind of like this game of tennis where you're just sort of, you know, batting the ball back and forth and being like, okay, your turn. And then, you know, the consumers are like, oh, no, 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 I see what you're doing. I don't want to give you that. And so it's, you know, it's like, do you want to create a barrier to entry that, you know, maybe will help you better qualify your leads or do you want to just accept as many leads as possible? I think that's, you know, a business to business decision that, that matters based on what you're trying to do with email. But, um, but yeah, I've seen a lot of stuff where, you know, the intention is good, but the ultimate product is super frustrating. Yeah. I, I mean, they'll still qualified me because when they asked me the company name and I, I put my company yeah, name, so yeah. they can check on that. Um, but yeah, so, um, what do you think, what do you say is the upcoming trends for, for the next kind of 12 months around email? Yeah. And I guess obviously um, specifically more on the deliverability side. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I think um, for this one, you know, I think unfortunately we have to kind of mention that the situation that we're facing with uh, with COVID-19 right now, um, you know, the, really, you know, the, the fact that the world has has been forced to digitize literally like kind of overnight um, has led to such a surge in e-commerce and, you know, virtual events and meetups happening and, and web usage in general has just been huge. And email is playing an even bigger role in marketing than it ever has before, right? Like if you're, if you're you know, in-person event has been canceled, you're now looking to kind of tie that revenue back to um, back to email instead, right? So, you know, I think the, the, the actual volume of emails that most brands are sending has gone down, but engagement with email has actually gone up across all industries. You know, a study I was, I was reading recently quoted that engagement rates were up across their entire customer base about 20%. So that's a pretty big deal. Um, you know, but I think that the pandemic has also led to a, a huge shift in consumer behavior, right? From how and, and when people are consuming content to, what they're interested in and how they're spending their money, like all that stuff has kind of been turned on its head. So, you know, this requires marketers to, to be more thoughtful about how they can optimize every facet of their email program, um, you know, to, to really replace that revenue that's typically coming from events, marketing or sales efforts or whatever else they're doing. Um, and, and that obviously has an impact on deliverability as well, right? So, you know, paying closer attention to your deliverability metrics and, and those target KPIs is so, so, so important to ensuring that the messages are resonating with your readers now that there's kind of this, this new normal, I guess, for a better, uh, lack of a better word, right? You know, what worked in the past and what's been working for years, even with that particular person, might not continue to work moving forward. So, you know, being on the lookout for changes in those positive engagement metrics, right, that the opens and clicks, as well as your spam complaints, your unsubscribes, and also a lack of engagement, right? It could mean the difference between going to the inbox and going to the spam folder for your brand, right? So, um, you know, based on all, all the stuff that's going on and based on their findings, I really think that, you know, marketers are going to move towards more segmented campaigns that take into account things like geolocation and more elements of buyer persona. I figure like right now with, with geolocation, um, the world is opening up in very different ways depending on where you live. And so, you know, getting an email um, that talks about going to a local event or to your local bar or, or kind of, you know, anything that, that relates to going outside could be incredibly frustrating for one recipient, whereas another one might just just jump for joy when they read that email because it really applies to what's happening with their their personal experience right now. So, you know, I think as the inbox continues to become more crowded, um, you know, it's, it's going to take more than, than just an emoji or a flashy subject line to stand out. So, you know, most marketers are already taking advantage of things like that pre-header text area, right? So that that kind of in, further entices readers to open the message, right? So it's like you've got your subject line and then it says, you know, something flashy afterwards or it helps set context for, for what you're doing. But I'm really anticipating that, that marketers are going to start to adopt those newer technologies that are out there at a quicker pace than they have in the past, right? So um, the two that I'm most interested in are, are BIMI, um, which is brand indicators for message identification. And, and this basically allows marketers to include their logo with the mail that has been authenticated, right? So it's, it's kind of dangling a carrot for marketers and saying, hey, go authenticate your mail because that's better for email. Um, but at the same time, if you look at your inbox and you can see a Nike logo and then right below it is just some kind of basic image or an M or something like that, um, one of them looks a lot better than the other. So I think that's that's a technology that, that people will start to embrace. Um, and then AMP for email, right? Um, this one allows recipients to interact with your content directly inside the email, right? So you no longer have to, you know, do things like booking an appointment or RSVPing to an event or um, even like sign up for a newsletter or giving a, a product review. You don't have to go to the website to do that. You don't have to leave your email channel. You can do all of that stuff directly right within the email. So I think that's that's going to be a huge jump is just to say, hey, oh, oh my gosh, we got your we got your eyeballs on this email. Don't go anywhere, right? So I think that's going to be very much more important is just to, to keep the attention of, of people as you get it. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I really like that um, that last one. Actually, I've done a little bit with interactive uh, emails, but not you know not yet to the point where um, you know you can literally just buy something uh, by by clicking on an email. Um, yeah, but it's so cool, but, right? I mean, the, the potential is, is endless. Honestly, it's it's really interesting. Yeah, and I think if you use them right, they'll do really really well. And if, when people start using them incorrectly, they'll just start annoying people. Um, you know, so if you get that email asking you to review your hotel or whatever, or your, your Airbnb, for example, you know, if you can just uh, tap, you know, tap five star and possibly even like type in a message as a response or even to us, even just respond to the email with uh, the number of stars you want to give in the head, in the subject line and then your review and it just automatically does it for you. That'd be fantastic. But if um, I just feel that, you know, if, if, companies started sending out emails with big product lists that just had, you know, add to cart or buy now buttons. I think that um, not only would they be doing it wrong because really you want to get people to the website where they can browse for themselves, but also I just don't, I'm not sure at least initially if people will interact that well with those sort of emails. Um, yeah. Couldn't agree yeah, just, more. Just buying, you know, buying through the email just like that. I don't know. I, I can see booking something or leaving a review, but um, I, I think we're a little bit away from, you know, one click purchase through an email still. I agree. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Unless, unless you're, you know, like a super brand and, and you've got like a, it's, you know, it's a, a single product focused email. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Or maybe if you've got a, a user that's, that's a very, you know, like almost like a very loyal customer who, who purchases often and, and you've figured out the personalization where you actually can say, I know for a fact that you're going to want to buy this t-shirt. Um, yeah. Like if you can make that a very simple call to action and make them feel special and stuff. Great. But yeah, to your point, I mean, don't, don't let the, the shiny new toys distract you from the fact that you're really just trying to, to send an engaging email to your, your recipients. Right. So it's like use yeah. the technology for, for good, but don't let it be just that, that, that ugly emoji that's that's just in the center of your subject line, right? Yeah, I think um, restocking emails, that's where yeah. it would work. Yeah. So if you've bought um, like coffee or something online, um, you know, they could, they could ping you an email saying, you're probably running long coffee, would you like to order some more? And all you've got to okay. do is hit the yes button and it's done. Um, that'd be fantastic. A little bit dangerous. I could see myself ordering a lot of coffee <laughs> doing that. But oh, um, yeah. Yep. yeah, that sort of thing, I think it worked really well. So do you have any pet peeves when it comes to marketing? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think, as a marketer or a consumer. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, I think um, I touched on this a bit, but you know, really for me oversending to inactives and I guess, you know, generally just being too aggressive with your frequency is one that kills me as a deliverability person, but, but also as a consumer, right? Um, you know, one example I can give of this is, is a retail brand that I was working with in my, in my past. Um, you know, they were sending, to recipients who signed up directly from their website, but they were doing it five times per week. And, you know, they were using an activity segmentation, which wasn't bad. It was, you know, 90 days. Um, and this may be pretty acceptable for, you know, a recipient who's engaging with their content regularly and opening and clicking every once in a while and checking out the sales and stuff. Um, but, you know, let's consider the case of someone who signs up and then kind of forgets about it and never opens an email, right? In that case, within those, those parameters, um, the user would have ended up getting 64 emails from the brand over the course of 90 days without zero sign of life on their side, right? We don't even know if that's a real sign up or if that's a bot sign up at this point, right? So that kind of thing is definitely going to hurt your deliverability. And it also tells me as a potential customer, if I'm receiving those emails, that, that I'm just a number to you, right? Like the brand is not at all caring about if I find value in their content, they are literally just going to keep sending to me and until until I unsubscribe. And, and that's, that's a bad experience, but I think it's also just really painful for deliverability. Um, you know, another example of this I can give is more around the, the idea of um, like a re, you know, what, uh, sorry, an abandoned cart email, right? So um, I, I recently, I bought a backpack online from this, this, this web shop. Um, I love the bag. I still use it today. I talk about it to anybody who will listen to me every time I was traveling, which I was doing quite a bit in my last job, you know, I'm having conversations with people at, at the airport about how much I love this bag for travel and stuff. Um, but then, you know, a couple months later, I added an item to my cart because um, I like that, that company. Um, and they started sending me abandoned cart emails literally three times a day, sometimes as many as six per day, I think during Black Friday or something like that, four months, right? Oh, so this wow. was something that happened before <laughs> before Black Friday. 
I actually, I haven't opened any of those emails in, in easily six months, let's say, and yet I still get one. In fact, I received one just last week, right? So um, this must be impacting their deliverability. I can't see how it's not. Obviously, they're, they're overspending on the amount of email that they're sending, whoever they're using. Um, but, you know, for, for me personally, I've gone from being a huge advocate of that brand, you know, telling people all about that bag to actually, you know, not only not recommending the company, but instead, when people kind of push me to talk about it, I actually talk to them about how the company is spamming me and how they have really bad customer service. Um, when I try to reach out to them and say, please stop sending me this email, please, please, please. Um, you know, really, so I think, you know, brands need to take a hint, you know, whether you're following the data or whatever, like remember the fact that people are humans behind that. Um, they're not just, you know, a paycheck for you. So, you know, there needs to be a balance there in terms of, um, you know, not not just make, making me not feel icky about your emails, but but also just respecting me as a human. Yeah, I think there's um, there's bad behavior in probably in email marketing specifically, actually, around um, kind of benchmarking against your own numbers and assuming that as long as you're hitting that benchmark or just over, you're doing fine. So yeah. you're getting a 20% open rate, let's say, you know, if you, or let's say your average is 18%. So your campaign gets that you send out gets 19, 20%. The general reaction seems to be, oh, cool, that was a good campaign. You know, we, yeah. we, we got better than average. And no one really seems to think, well, what about the other 80% that didn't work? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's you know, funny. I've had, I've had um, you know, when I was working for an ESP and I was, you know, playing the, the compliance role as well, um, we had customers who were like, I don't get it. I'm not going to the inbox. And, you know, and maybe they were even, you know, fall, falling on my compliance radar. Um, you know, they're still like, well, but, you know, my open rate's 10%. And I'm like, but reverse that, man. That means 90% of the people you're sending to are, are not engaging and haven't done so in a very long time and, and it's like when when you, when someone says that to you, you're like oh wow huh never thought about it like that right but but people should be thinking about it like that like you really need to put yourself in the, in the shoes of the recipient for just a minute and, and yeah think about definitely it. and you, you don't even have to re- review on a just an individual basis and go well only 20 percent of my only 20 percent of my audience is opening emails because you know you you can if you dive into the data a bit more you might find that actually um, over a month, you know, you send four emails in a month, you might get a different, you know, it's not going to be a completely different segment, obviously, but you might get, you know, 20% unique on one and then it's 15% unique on the next one and it's 5% yeah. from the previous audience. And so actually over a four emails in a month, you might still get, I don't know, a 30, 35% open rate in your list, but that's still not good enough. Right. Agreed. Um, so just finally, um, if you could kill off one marketing channel or tactic, what would it be? Oh, this is a fun one. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, this one, you know, I don't talk about cold emailing very often since I do live in, in that world of, of opt-in and I like it there. Um, but, you know, I would say, especially for cold, cold emailing, you, I, I can't stand it when people just kind of do that, like, oh, I'm, I'm bumping this to the top of your inbox thing, right? Um, you know, it... it for, for B2B, I understand that that companies do have to engage in cold emailing. That's a reality. We've got to do business. I get it, right? I'm sure my you know companies that I've worked for in the past have also done cold emailing. But if you're going to go there, if you're going to send email without permission, do it right. Please just do it right, right? Like provide some kind of value to me. Don't make me work hard to understand what you do or, or how your product is supposed to benefit me. And don't jump right into a sales pitch before I've even shown interest, right? That first email is crazy. And, and for God's sake, please just don't bump that failed attempt to the top of my inbox a second time, right? If it didn't work the first time, if I didn't engage with you, it's surely not going to work a second time. Um, if anything, it's just going to anger me. So try a different approach or, or honestly, just, just give up altogether after that first cold outreach. Cause yeah, that the bumping to the inbox just drives me nuts. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen people follow up with um like a little bit more content or something different but yeah the ones that are really annoying they're literally like i mean i think i've had it in my inbox just bumping this to the top of your inbox uh, to make sure you see it or something or literally just just wondering if you saw my previous email yes yeah it's like oh i did i did (laughs) I, I, i might have done but or i might not have done but you know give me the information now don't don't make me go hunt down your email or 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 scroll and you know, don't make me do things when you're trying to sell to me, basically. Um, oh, yeah. You know, make it as easy as possible. Well, this has been absolutely fantastic. Really, really interesting stuff, um, especially about sp- spam traps, actually. I, I, I've kind of, you know, I know the term, but I um, hadn't actually done much, much research into them myself. So, yeah, really, really great stuff. 
Um, thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, yeah, if if people want to get in touch with you or, or or reach out to to you or Kickbox, um, how how do they do so? Yeah, so I think you know if people want to connect with me, um, probably the easiest way is, is on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm a pretty heavy user of that, so just come find me and connect, and, and I'd be happy to, to chat with you about whatever you're interested in. Um, to learn more about Kickbox, um, your listeners can head over to Kickbox.com. Um, you know, we're, we're adding new content to our blog each and every month. So we talked about that. Um, in addition to to those those webinars and white papers that we're releasing with fresh tips um, from email experts and, and all that good stuff, um, we're actually also offering your listeners um, some free credits for email verification. So if they use monkey blocks as, as the coupon code at checkout, you can have 10,000 free credits for, for email verification. So definitely check that out if you're, if you're in the need. Um, and then lastly, I, you know, I alluded a little bit to the fact that, that we're in a beta phase with um, that new suite of products that we're working on right now that are all geared towards deliverability. Um, so stay tuned for, for more news about that towards probably the end of June and maybe as we head into July of this year. You know, we're going to have lots of, of details available over at kickbox.com. And then we'll also be sharing news within our networks on LinkedIn and, and Twitter as well. So maybe that's another good reason to, to connect with me there. Awesome. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks for having me. As with every marketing channel, email has evolved over the years and the way of doing things just three, four years ago has changed massively. While you absolutely should verify your email list frequently, it's not the only thing you need to do. The key thing, as always, is value to the customer. Email providers look at how active and engaged your subscribers are, as well as bounce rates. Uh, and the idea that you know, certain keywords in your subject lines or whatever drop you in the spam folder is, is pretty out of date. Um, you don't need to worry about that. You know, using words like free or putting cash values in subject lines doesn't make an impact. Great ways of improving deliverability and performance is to segment your list and focus on engagement. There's no point sending emails to people who haven't opened anything from you in the last six to 12 months. They're not engaged. And if providers like Outlook or Gmail see that thousands of people aren't even opening your emails, they've got no reason to place you in the inbox. Finally, advice you'll see everywhere but still needs to be mentioned, do not buy email lists. Just don't do it. Grow your list properly to avoid spam traps, high unsubscribe rates and complaints. These absolutely destroy your sending reputation and therefore your ability to place emails in your customers' inboxes. I hope you all found that as fascinating as I did. Please rate the podcast on iTunes and subscribe on the website for future episodes. If you have any questions about email deliverability or inbox placement, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com. In the next episode, I'll be speaking with John Preston of Superstar Bots about chatbots. But until then, keep those customers clicking. <laughs>